The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
our committee of the whole meeting for Monday, November 21st. So just a reminder, this is a work type meeting where we discuss particular topics. Our business meeting is at seven. So at this point, the first uh, point of order here is just a call to order. And I am calling this meeting officially to order and asking Clerk Borling to please call the roll. Commissioner Decker. Commissioner Hess. Present. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. Present. Commissioner Pradle. Present. Vice Mayor Cooney. Mayor Anderson. Here. May I have a motion to excuse Vice Mayor Cooney and Commissioner Decker? Committee of the whole meeting. So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Hoffman. Support. Supported by Commissioner Hess. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. Thank you, motion passes. Communications, Manager Ritzma. Nothing, Your Honor. Thank you, Manager Ritzma. Now is the opportunity for public comments. Just a reminder that there will be a public comment opportunity available during our business meeting at seven as well. Public comments at the Committee of the Hall are limited to two minutes. And first we will start with anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone in the chambers who would like to provide a public comment for this meeting? Seeing no one, our good Deputy City Manager, Chamberlain, do we have any call-in comments for this meeting? Uh, we'll check. We do not have any comments. Thank you, DCM Chamberlain, appreciate that. Uh, no special agenda items, I assume, so we're down to the work of this session. Manager Risma. Thank you, Mayor. Tonight we want to preview the recommendation for ARPA funding uh, for 2023 and beyond. And so we're going to go through a presentation here, if we can call it up, and um, you're going to hear from various directors this evening about the recommended uh, programs and, and requests and get more detail about them. And then um, we'll wrap things up with uh, questions and answers and then what takes place after this as far as the budget goes. So I uh, wanna remind everyone of the ARPA commission priorities. These were set in, in February of this year at our retreat. Uh, we have economic development, housing, infrastructure, safety, and youth. And then as those relate to our strategic vision and the Imagine Kalamazoo 2025 goals, you can see the ones highlighted there are where the priorities plug in. And so the uh, requests that you'll see tonight will, will center around those goals that are highlighted. So without further ado, I will call forward our CFO, Steve Vicenzi, and he can get us started. Steve. I'm gonna start you off here. We will have our 2023 ARPA plan here on the upcoming slides. And I just wanna point out that this plan that you'll see in these slides shows everything from that we've approved from 2021 through planned or anticipated expenditures through 2026. Um, as for tonight, we're really focusing on the 2023 column on these slides. 
And I guess with that, I will turn it over to our Economic Development Director, Antonio Mitchell, to talk about the economic development um, category of our upper expenditures. Welcome, Mr. Mitchell. Yes, thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you, Mayor, City Manager, Vice Mayor, um, City Attorney and Commissioners for having us here as staff to talk about um, this opportunity that we have to take advantage of these funds and to make a difference in the community. So first of all, my first item is economic development, um, discussion of those items, and then I'll be talking about housing uh, development items underneath the ARPA funding opportunity. And starting off, um, I'm gonna have to switch back and forth with my glasses, it's hard to say, um, is the facade program. 375,000, um, that will give us the ability to work with um, pretty much a minimum of uh, 15 businesses to assist with facade programs. Um, white box um, definition is build out of interior design initiative. A lot of um, our commercial development projects, what happens is you as developer, you'll prep the site and develop pretty much a white box they meaning it's ready for development. But the owner of the property doesn't put the money into putting that restaurant in there or putting whatever that commercial space in. This funding is pretty much gap financing up to $25,000 to assist in that process. Um, it has been um, very successful um, in working with a number of our businesses in the community. Uh, we've pretty much worked with um, like Grayling uh, Ceramics, which was on the north side. Uh, we assisted them in their relocation into the Edison neighborhood um, off of Porter's Avenue, um, and they um, built out um, pretty much a building there. We assisted them with a facade and a white box um, assistance. Um, I think we had some mayor and commissioners and everything do a tour. I think you went on a tour, Mayor Anderson, of, of that um, expansion and growth, uh, which was great. Um, they used to be on Frank Street, and they were in the basement. Um, so if you ever visit them in the basement at a factory coffee location, um, it was definitely a step up, as they say, um, from the basement, because it was um, an old Michigan basement they, they were in. Um, and so that was a great example of um, this type of development that assisted on both fronts. So a company could get both funding, um, in this case, a white box build out or facade exterior. Um, at the same time, that is eligible uh, for 25000 as well for the facade. That has to be the exterior, um, usually a street facing. Uh, we do, if it's a corner lot, we do do two faces in some cases, um, side corner and the front. Um, if it's a corner, um, we can assist in some cases if um, there's um, interest on the back like the parking's in the back, we can do a front facade and a back facade um, as well, depending on the request um, by the applicant and justification. Um, so we've done um, some of those as well. Some of our projects has also been in Washington Square. Um, we've done projects on the north side, um, pretty much the area of North and Burdick, um, Ricky Thrash there, um, the other development there on the, across the, Across the way, you see the facade being redone for apartment and housing um, development there. That's our one of our projects as well. 
um, on the north side. Uh, east side neighborhood, we've worked with a number of businesses. There's some murals and some other things that's been done that's been part of our dollars as well in the facade program. And we'll be probably sharing on a Friday, um, hopefully the next couple, at least weeks, hopefully some before and after pictures, uh, hopefully in December of some development projects, if not then in, in January. So you'll be able to see what some of those projects on, um, pretty much on the east side on East Main Street, what they were and what they are now. And so we'll be able to share that a little bit more. And then um, you have the downtown um, placement. This is funding. Uh, one thing that we try to do, especially in planning, is I got my little, little outline here of how we focus on planning, discussion. Um, um, in the past, um, the blessing of like just not these opera dollars are nice, but what we enjoy more, of, which I think you guys know as commissioners, is those FFE dollars. Um, one thing that's um, great about um, these additional dollars that's come to the table is that when we do our planning and development and discussion with the community, in the past, especially that my first go around with the city, you would do all these great plans, you would put them together in a nice little book, and literally they would stay in the book um, because you didn't have the funding to expand the process of making that development happen. Um, a perfect example of this moving forward is we had, as everyone knows, we had Notre Dame come here and do um, this great development of downtown. That's what we're trying to implement. It's great to have a plan. Then it's great to put out an RFP to help um, get the right engineers and designers to put together that plan. But can you then put the dollars together for implementation? Um, that's what we've been doing with FFE dollars, is doing the planning, doing the contracting to make sure the plans work, bringing that to the city, um, commission for approval of those funds to implement, and then literally implementing that development. Um, that's what these dollars are for, is um, downtown placemaking was significant in that design, as you saw, all these great things that you could do downtown. Well we have to take to the next level and now put together what does it cost to make those implementations and then, sorry to say, come back and get money to literally put that into pro in progress. Um, like I said, we're blessed to have dollars to be able to implement um, with FFE. Um, that is the blessing that uh, we enjoy as staff is that we can not only plan, work with the community, but now we can put money towards implementation. And so what you're looking at here is uh, implementation of um, commercial development facade, white box, and then place making um, development space in our downtown area, well, which will include hopefully new restrooms and other aspects in the, in the downtown area. But you gotta, let's say, make sure these spaces work and also get the cost of what it will cost us to make uh, that implementation. Any questions before I go on to housing real quick? Yes. Thank you, Antonio. Um, so to be clear on the restrooms, the 500,000 budgeted isn't necessarily to build those restrooms. It's for planning for those, uh, those spaces. Correct. Okay. Um, and the 50, so, if a business wants to apply for both a facade and white box build out, is it possible for them to receive 50K? Yes. 
Okay. Yes. Yes, there'd be accommodation. And also with that is that the 50K, they're not receiving the money. Um, pretty much we pay the contractor directly. We don't give the money to the, the, the client applicant. Sure. It goes, and then we also do agreement with the uh, provider to understand that we will pay 50% and then we'll pay the, the remaining balance of the costs at the end of the completion of the project. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. Yes. Commissioner Preel, yes. Director Mitchell, I'm just going to ask you for the uh, facade grant and the white box build out. Um, are those, what type of funding mechanisms are those? Are those just like purely granted out without um, any uh, requirement to return things at zero interest or loan mechanisms or anything like that, or is it just purely granted? It is purely grant. Um, I think I, when I gave a presentation before, we talked about cookies on um, Douglas. Um, that was back in the day, that was uh, community development bar grant dollars. You said grand dollar, but it was a loan fund at that time. Um, the impact of the dollars is the investment. And as we were stating um, at that point is that we're trying to make sure we have long-term um, turnaround capabilities similar to what cookies was. So as I stated back then, we made that investment in the late 90s. Um, as they say, 20, 22 years, 23 years later, that investment is still reaping. Um, that is what we're trying to do is create spaces that can be not only utilized, but be a significant tax benefit for the city for a long period of time. This money is not for um, nonprofits, so that needs to be made clear. It's only for for-profit developments. Because I've had, quote unquote, um, nonprofits ask for assistance, and we cannot assist in that manner at this time. I know previously you had mentioned there were something like 53 small businesses on the wait list for um, just the facade grants alone. Yes. You know, so with these funds, you know, knowing that, you know, each entity could potentially ask for up to $50,000. Do you have kind of a target you're hoping that reach or in terms of the, you know, say if there's an excess wait list, mm -hmm. are there other opportunities to, to support them besides this ARPA proposal? The, the answer is yes, but use this loan dollars. <laughs> um, so we do have United Way dollars that can assist. And so we, <clears throat> the ones that we can assist immediately, we transition them to United Way if possible. Um, and if we can't assist, everyone's not ready, even though you say you're ready. If uh, quote unquote, someone's on the list that can't be productive, we move them from that list to the end of the list, and then we move someone up, uh, place them. Gotcha. So as you say, with the waiting list, um, it's also the waiting list from, you could say, last year to this year. So hopefully, you didn't wait a whole year to do your project. You already got it done. So we have some because um, they've already completed their project and the project is not reimbursable. You have to pretty much do the project at that time and point of application. Cool. And just one last question as well. Uh, say hypothetically, there's a homeowner that <clears throat> has a home daycare or something. Mm -hmm. Would would like white box funding be eligible for somebody who has a you know, a home-based business that, you know, requires certain specifications or requirements to have in their home, or if they have like a home business combo type scenario, is there any restrictions in that regard? Uh, pretty much just our zoning restrictions and requirements. 
Um, we, we're heading that direction. We haven't got there yet uh, with the home-based businesses. Um, we may, the, the goal is to tweak the program to be home-based business focused, mm -hmm. um, probably in the next year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. uh, so this program has, at least on our docket as staff, two more years in, in, in hopefully progression. Um, then we hope that um, hopefully DDA Dago would then they would have their own acts to assist to continue that program for downtown. We would probably keep a um, smaller um, program to assist in our corridor areas. Mm -hmm. A lot of the corridors, Washington Square, East Main Street, North Side, mm -hmm. we've been knocking those out right now because um, remember this is for existing buildings. Mm -hmm. It can be in a new development as well, but usually that's only the white box, not the facade program. Um, so we're adjusting to hopefully focus on more home-based businesses like daycares and things like that mm -hmm. for build out. And, mm -hmm. But we haven't got there yet. We'll be there probably in 2024. That's the goal. Cool, thanks Director Mitchell. Yes. Yes, sir. That's Housing. All right. Housing. So. We're looking at um, pretty much our lead program, which um, if hopefully you got that in the Friday notice that um, we've been sharing with the community that we had a total of $4.6 million. Um, 696,000 of that is for health, home uh, supplement and uh, radon mitigation. And that focuses for a five-year initiative and extension and growth. And so because of that growth, we will use some of our CDBGs to assist with some of our matching dollars, but we'll also be using some of um, this 300,000 as um, part of pretty much our initiative for um, program uh, deliverable, We're working with KNHS and other organizations to assist with the implementation of this funding um, over the next, like I said, five years. That's what this is going to assist with. Um, the low pro lab program has been um, significantly um, successful in the sense of getting the word out and making an impact. Uh, the new initiative will start December 1st. We um, pretty much just working out the agreement um, last week with HUD and we'll be able to start moving in that process to continue that program over the next five years. Um, in the case of um, next item of grant financing um, affordable units. That million dollars is to assist us with uh, multi-unit development um, in the city, perfect uh, Harrison Circle development, creamy development. Uh, pretty much we have gap financing needs right at this million, so we're gonna have to make adjustments to see if we may end up splitting this to maybe a half a million to assist some of these big major projects. We got a handful of them coming um, to fruition soon. Um, these are affordable housing development projects, um, LIHTC um, projects, low income tax credit projects. They're gonna be um, helpful in creating the affordable housing development that we so uh, significantly need in the community. Um, this funding um, will work in that direction to assist with that gap financing that they need um, and hopefully um, leverage other dollars to assist in those development projects. And of course those projects will come forth from this commission. You'll see the breakdown of the performance and numbers of how our funding is assisting in those projects. But this will be part of it. 
and then the $3 million um, housing programming. That's gonna assist in our programming. Um, we're working with um, the funding of hopefully, in this case, around 58 units of affordable housing in the city. Um, it'll be split up with um, single family housing, hopefully some iPod um, development as well, some um, low, additional low income, maybe mixed use um, um, type of smaller housing, and then hopefully some other creative um, affordable housing um, initiatives. But the goal is at least um, 58 units um, tapping into this. Um, overall, we're looking at trying to get up to 128 units um, uh, from the funding that we have uh, with this and other dollars. Um, and um, as they say, that's on pretty much our properties and working with our nonprofits for development here in the city. And that's what that initiative is for. And that's it with housing. Questions? And I do have staff here for the details, so. I guess, I guess I'm just gonna stop at this point. This is not necessarily for you, although it may be in, including you. And thank you, Mr. Mitchell. But just, I wanna back up just a little bit here, Jim, just to talk about the process. I assume that as these items rose to the top, that were, there were other uh, programs that maybe a whole variety of departments were thinking about funding or asking for funding for. And so what, just uh, briefly, what did that process look like internally to the city to get to, well, these are the recommendations, even though there may have been more, say, in housing or any other category? Yeah, thank you, Mayor. And uh, perhaps that should have been clarified up front. But so we solicited requests from our department heads around the projects and programs related to the priority areas in Imagine Kalamazoo. Um, and those were scored by an internal team, cross-departmental. Um, and the higher the score, the more likely it's here on the list. Um, and included in the scoring are across the priorities, how, how uh, is there a good fit between the, the request and the priorities, and then some of the other dimensions like you know population served and, and those kind of uh, elements of a project. And so the ones represented here are the ones that rose to the top. Uh, there were other projects or requests that were not funded, and those will remain there. And you know as funding becomes available, we can certainly um, revisit those. Uh, I also just wanna draw your attention to, there's a highlighted column, it's the proposed 2023 budget. So that's gonna really be our focus tonight, but there are also uh, 2024, 2025, and 2026. And those are more projections, it says anticipated there. So that's just for planning purposes. So what you see before you tonight is uh, total uh, counting of the 38-some million dollars. So, um, in a lot across these programs in those years. So, I uh, just wanted to point that out as well. Thank you, Manager Smith. So, then just back to you on the economic development, uh, Mr. Mitchell, and the, the housing side here. I know that there is more need 
in, in any given year or time period than what we can fund. So I'm presuming that being part of this and thinking about this, you're comfortable with what rose to the top here in, in terms of the allocation and your our capacity to execute on it and, and have good results, uh, even though there may have been some additional things you would were hoping we could do. I mean, what, what are your kind of general thoughts about that? Yeah, the 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 simple answer is yes. the The flexibility that we're we're blessed with the city and city staff is that this is that one time offer of dollars that we're going to be able to access. Mm -hmm. But our blessing is that we have other funding we can go after to assist us on some of these initiatives, which is FFE. So this is a good shot in the arm for us to leverage these dollars to do some of the things that um, we want to make sure happen um, over the next couple of years. But we do plan on asking for additional money, and Stevie V can contested that I will ask for money um, over and over again. Um, so I will, and our department will go after additional dollars to assist to close these gaps as much as possible. But this will be sufficient towards what we need to do with these dollars for right now. Um, but we do plan on asking for additional dollars on the other side to hopefully close the gap um, to reach our goals and objectives. And like I've talked to the commission, we, we as staff want to see what your goals and objectives for affordable housing, what's that number? So that will assist us with um, better analyzing what dollars we need to have to hit that goal. Um, and that will make it a lot easier for us in, in our planning and also not planning for funding, but also um, site and land planning in the city on where best to have those developments as well and what that infrastructure um, costs will, where Director Baker is going to be talking about next, what does that mean as well? Um, because housing development and this commercial development is, is great, but there is additional costs beyond just building the house or building the building um, that we have to take in consideration. And that's also with that gap financing that we're trying to assist, especially with affordable housing. So that's where other dollars will come in from even the Brownfield Authority to assist us with those type of development projects. So yes, this is sufficient for what we're trying to do. Um, but of course, we always want more um, because we're trying to um, have the, uh, the most impact as possible. I appreciate that very much, Commissioner Juarez. Yeah, um, let's say if we didn't have ARPA dollars, would these things still be a priority? The answer is they will be a priority, but the funding would be like I said, going towards FFE and would mm -hmm. be probably a little smaller stretched out budget um, to implement for implementation. Um, so this is an additional shot in the arm to quote unquote stretch our dollars a little bit more um, towards the long term goal. And, you know, I'm just wondering because of um, looking at that, you know, if this was in our, like these programs were in our general budget before ARPA came and before um, we had the pandemic, these things were looked at and worked on in a sense, and there was money for that. Um, and I think our job up here is to figure out is ARPA money, using that ARPA money for these things that already can, we can find funding for, maybe in places we've done before and maybe we have, you know, opportunities there and still have opportunities there. Is this, you know, a good um, request for ARPA funding, you know, because you say it's a one-time funding and it's not going to come back. It's only going to be one time. Are we, are we getting the biggest bang for our buck? And is this where we need to spend ARPA money at? 
that's my biggest concern. Mm -hmm. Is this where we need to spend ARPA money at? Not if we want to, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times our goals shouldn't be articulated by what we want. They should be articulated by what's happening in our community, right? And at the end of the day, do we need to do this, right? And so I think that's the bigger question for me. But I appreciate all the work that's gone into this, no doubt. Any other questions for just Director Commissioner Hess? Okay. Um, so lead support, uh, going back to lead support, is that lead remediation inside the homes? Yes. Yes, okay. it is. And um, I think the numbers are so much more for need than the yes. 300,000. Okay. Um, hopefully we find other dollars to support that as well. Yes, we are leveraging other dollars as well. Thank you. Thanks again. Any other questions? All right, Manager Ritzman. All right. I'll be passing this on to Director Baker. All right. Thank you, Director Mitchell. Uh, good evening, Your Honor, City Commissioner, City Manager, City Attorney. Uh, we're going to talk about infrastructure now. Um, we've got a number of projects listed up here we're going to highlight. Um, and talk about just a few of them, stormwater assessment, a project that was awarded already in 2022, um, some proposed stormwater catch basin and pipelining, some rehabilitation work, and then also talk about Fraternity Village Drive, a street lighting project. I uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, the stormwater condition assessment work um, that is actually happening right now. That was a project awarded by the City Commission on May 16th of 2022 this year, um, we awarded a contract to uh, an engineering firm to go out and survey and perform condition assessments, um, risk analysis, and criticality and failure analysis of 3,900 manholes associated with the stormwater system and their connected pipes. So really what we're talking about is going out to these 3,900 manhole structures on our stormwater system um, taking a camera, usually mounted on a pole, like a long 10-foot pole, putting that camera down and videotaping the uh, condition of the inside of the manhole and then uh, turning on a bright light and looking up the pipe both sides and looking for um, failure indicators, things like cracks and fractures and things of that nature. Um, that work uh, will be reported to us. Uh, we're going to finalize that on December 1st and then we'll have a uh, a report moving forward that will help us prioritize where work would occur within the stormwater system. Uh, we're also at that time going to update our GIS system um, and provide any indications of things that we found out in the field, things like pipe sizes or pipe connectivity or something like that um, that's already reflected in our GIS but needs, needs to be updated. Uh, that work will help us prioritize our proposed stormwater catch basin, uh, manhole, and pipelining. Um, there's rehabilitation techniques where we can use um, trenchless technology. That's technology that does not involve us ripping up, uh, open cut, excavating the roadway. Uh, so we can perform cast iron pipe, or excuse me, cast in place pipe lining. So that's like a fiberglass liner that goes inside the pipe and cures and kind of creates a pipe inside a pipe. Uh, so that can be used to prolong the life of uh, clay pipes and concrete pipes and uh, we can 
obtain another 50 years of life cycle out of that pipe without having to dig up this roadway. Uh, a similar technique is used in the manholes. Uh, we often use a, a monoform technique that um, a lot of these manholes are brick cast manholes. And so what we can do is uh, open the manhole up, put form liners in, in the manhole, and then pour concrete between that form liner and that annual space of that existing brick manhole. And then it kind of pours a new manhole inside the manhole, and that allows for an additional 50 years of life cycle um, out of that. Another project we want to talk about is our Fraternity Village Drive uh, proposed street lighting project. Um, this proposed project would coordinate with a local street project where we're looking to implement sidewalk, pedestrian, and um, some traffic calming improvements on Fraternity Village Drive. We'd also like to brighten the area up uh, through a design with Consumers Energy to bring in um, a new lighting standard for street lights. And street lights is one of those programs that, um, you know, we've done a lot of work here in Kalamazoo. One of the areas that um, is perhaps uh, most visible is Stadium Drive. Uh, when we took ownership of Stadium Drive from MDOT, uh, we did a uh, project to increase the street lighting brightness. And that really is all based in safety. Um, new modern design standards for street lights um, have certain requirements that we'd like to meet. And as we work through our system through attrition, we'd like to convert over from the old kind of orange glow street lights to the modern new LED. And then we're also looking at where the street lights are placed. So previously, you know, going back 50 or so years, we did what's called spotting, where we'd spot or place a street light at intersections and then roughly at mid block. Um, but we did not study the photometrics. We did not study how that light interacted with uh, driving and pedestrians and how that light was used to you know, light up the roadway from a safety feature. So we now have lighting standards that we use from a design template. Now we look at lighting intensity at intersections, at crosswalks, and then broad lighting intensity across the entire roadway uh, surface. And so that's where we're looking to move forward with new um, lighting design standards. Um, I'll pause there at that point and see if there's any questions from commissioners on any of the infrastructure related projects. Questions, commissioners? Commissioner right. Bradle? No? Okay. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Chief Boyson for safety. Thank you, Director Baker. Thank you. Uh, Director Baker, uh, you missed the neighborhood tree planting and maintenance. Oh, sure. I can talk about that. Okay. Um, certainly, that's a, a project that uh, we show up here about uh, $550,000 $500, annually. That's two components. Uh, one of those is the um, planting new trees. We'd like to plant about 300 new trees per year. Another component of that is just keeping up with the maintenance, the trimming, and, and the hazardous trees. And uh, certainly with our, um, our, our tree canopy and our, the age of our, our tree infrastructure in the city, we want to make sure that we're keeping up with the trimming um, as well as the new plantings. Um, and again, this is a program that um, is really beneficial. Um, but our current funding mechanisms uh, present some challenges in us maintaining the, these levels of investment. So we're really excited for this opportunity. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'll just, since you came back up here, I will just, as a reminder for everyone, just ask you a question here. You know, we've talked a lot about wastewater and sewers and water and that sort of thing over the last few months here. But just as a reminder, our water and sewer budget 
and that separate enterprise fund that we you know, did a rate increase does not pay for stormwater work. Isn't that correct? That's correct. So at, at this time, City Kalamazoo does not have a stormwater utility in that um, there's no dedicated funding source for stormwater. Anything um, for stormwater from a funding standpoint, you know, really comes from major and local streets. Uh, that's, that is a bit of a challenge. I think, you know, we recognize that community members want to see investments in streets, you know, primarily on um, things that uh, enhance driving, enhance the driving experience, things like new pavement, um, street lights, that sort of thing. And uh, when we do uh, a lot of investment in stormwater, that can really chew up the funds really fast. Stormwater is expensive, especially when we're digging these holes. And so there really needs to be some additional funding sources and we're you know, really excited to have this opportunity uh, because otherwise we're looking at competition with general fund or major local streets because there is not a stormwater utility. So thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners, City Manager, um, City Attorney, and uh, Claire Boring. Um, and thank you, Director Baker. I was asked to update uh, the Commission on just a couple things. Um, and uh, we'll start with community safety, uh, which kind of ties into our Bridging Opportunities, which was our youth uh, initiative that uh, we started really in 2016, but we've been able to expand uh, in 2022. Um, when we talk about violence, I think it's important to note that um, really our our community-based strategies, our balanced approach between outreach and enforcement working together, uh, these strategies are working. Uh, if you see the slide here, we're talking about gun violence responses uh, in this year, and you see we've had a significant reduction in gun violence uh, since the summer, um, and our levels in October and November were below that of January, February, and March, were typically our slowest time, so we're trending in a very, very positive direction. Uh, Violent crime overall is down 11%. Assaults with firearms is down 14% over this time last year. And motor vehicle theft is down 33%. So just some great work going on in partnership with the community. Um, we know that community-based strategies, um, such as our group violence intervention, are working. Um, another important piece of that is our bridging opportunities, which really focuses on our youth. We know that uh, we need to focus our resources on a small number of uh, youth who are most at risk and really need additional support to ensure their success. Uh, so that's why we started Bridging Opportunities in 2016. Initially, that uh, has always been a summer program, but thanks to uh, City Commission support and the ARPA dollars, we were able to carry that on year-round. So those kids are still in Bridging now, even during the school year, which I think is going to be a big benefit to them. Um, our community partners in this, uh, our main community partners is the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Kalamazoo. That's where the youth uh, do their programming. Um, they're actually paid as um, youth development staff, junior staff at the Boys and Girls Club, so they get work experience. Um, they're able to gain a little self-confidence and a sense of identity working for the Boys and Girls Club. Um, and they also gain employment experience, different career opportunities. Um, and they get a chance to uh, receive their CPR first aid certification. Uh, they cover their first part one of driver's training. We know a lot of youth um, don't uh, have a barrier as far as getting uh, paid uh, or money to attend driver's training. So um, this um, strategy helps uh, to provide that for them. And really the big piece of it that we've seen over and over again is really that lasting partnership, um, the mentorship, the role models 
um, and friendships they make at the Boys and Girls Club with the staff. The staff does a phenomenal job there. And we know, again, that if we can focus um, those type of resources on a small number of, of these uh, youth, that we see uh, dramatic improvements. Uh, so we're looking forward to continue that. Uh, any questions on bridging before I move on? Yeah, Vice Mayor Cooney. David, uh, <clears throat> just ask it. What age are these? Uh, thank you, sir. It's uh, 14 to 16 is who uh, we are um, having in this year. Yep. And how many do we have it? Uh, we have eight youth that are engaged in the year-round program. Okay. So again, we have to keep it small because it's uh, very intensive with the work that they do and we can't have too big of a group. Uh, so we have eight and we're hoping to expand that, especially as uh, in the future as the Boys and Girls Clubs move into their new capacity. Okay, great. Thank you. Else? Okay, uh, I'll talk about our downtown substation. Oh, Commissioner Hoffman has a question. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner. Thank you so much. Um, I was just wondering, how are these these particular eight youth, uh, how were they selected? Yes, we work uh, bridging opportunities in partnership with the courts. So these youth are on probation. We work with uh, Judge Bell's a big advocate. And so we work with Judge Bell and the probation officers to identify and select those who we think would most benefit with this program. Okay, downtown substation. Um, one of the things that we're trying to be very intentional about is having an increased presence in downtown so that people who live, work, and visit downtown feel safe. Um, again, I said this is very intentional to increase our presence downtown. What I have on the screen right here is a report that is generated daily. Um, this is our downtown call report, so I look at this every day. Um, this one I have on the screen is from Sunday, so it's a fairly slow day, but we can look at two types of calls, the dispatch calls that we received, um, the calls that we responded to in a reactive way, and then also proactive officer initiated calls. So I like to make sure that we're not just responding to calls, but we're also doing uh, things such as foot patrols, directed patrols, we're being visible and we track that through this. Uh, so that's very uh, reassuring to know that my staff is doing what we asked them to do, which is be out and be visible. The other piece of this is if you look at the reactive calls, the dispatch calls, we can see that most of them are trespassing, alarms, more nuisance type activities. Um, and we can use our new um, crime, um, or I'm sorry, community service team, their CST team, along with our social service coordinator to look at these individuals who are causing repeat calls for service and see if, if there are community resources that we can leverage to help these individuals to find long-term solutions to their issues. We know that just arresting these individuals for nuisance crimes and putting them in jail and they get right back out isn't a long-term fix, it's a temporary fix. We need to find long-term things and that's where our community service team and a social service advocate really work to really identify things that we can do long-term to help these individuals. So hopefully those efforts are starting to pay off and, we're, and we'll see reduced calls for service, especially repeat type calls downtown. Um, but one of the pieces that we're missing in this is really that presence um, downtown. Uh, we used to have a substation downtown, as, as most of you know, Station 1 was at uh, Exchange Place, um, and um, um, we left there in June of 2017, um, and we have not had a presence downtown um, since then. Um, so it was right on Farmer's Alley, right at the corner. It was kind of tucked out of the way, but at least we were close to that mall. Uh, so what we're looking for right now is uh, to lease a space at 248 North Mall, so it's right at the North Mall, which we believe is an ideal location. Uh, for um, our officers to have some presence. Um, in that, uh, we wouldn't have a full um, station um, out of that, um, but we, uh, as far as a 24-hour station, 
with all of our zone one personnel like we had before is what we're looking at is to house our community policing team and our community service team and our social service coordinator out of that location. Again, we think that North Mall is where a lot of the service and needs for those type of activities are, so it would be a good fit. Um, again, we have community policing officers that would be responsible for the whole city, but we also have downtown community policing officers that would work out of that station along with our community service team and social service coordinators. So you'd see a lot more presence downtown, police cars coming and going, um, and just we'd be more accessible to the public uh, if they wanted to stop in the station. We could use that location for community meetings and uh, problem solving sessions. So um, we really feel that by um, this would be a good fit for the, not only the visitors and businesses, but we're seeing increased uh, residency downtown, especially in the North Mall area and these uh, um, condos that people living downtown. So we just need to increase our presence down there and this would be a good, um, good uh, solution for that. So any questions on the substation proposed? Okay. Uh, talk about uh, the next proposal uh, that we're bringing forward for uh, this coming year and into 2025 is our KDPS uh, retention uh, bonus. Um, we have struggled um, really in the last several years like a lot of other agencies uh, to find and hire and retain sworn personnel. Um, this greatly impacts our ability to provide police, fire, and EMS services to our community because we have to staff the streets. So some of these other things, like I talked about, the community service team and some of these other things, um, we really need the bodies to carry out those, uh, those functions. Uh, as we have uh, seen um, in recent years, as this uh, trend continues, you can see here, these are normal applicants that we've seen since 2017 to 2022, and the numbers continually declining. So just last year we had only 338 total applicants and we used to have well over a thousand. And not only are we having less applicants, but the applicants that we have now, uh, many have not, don't have prior police or fire experience and they haven't been through a police or fire academy. So back before most of those individuals would have prior police or fire experience work for a small agency and come to us as a career department. So we're not seeing that now, we're seeing people that we have to train from day one and put them through the police and fire academy. So currently as we sit right now, we have 29 vacancies for sworn officer positions. We're struggling to fill those. Um, our average hiring class is about 13 officers per year. Uh, so at this rate, uh, based on normal retirements and employee departures, um, and if this trend continues, um, we anticipate having 43 vacancies by the end of 2024. So every year we're digging a little bit deeper hole for ourselves which uh, is not sustainable if we want to continue to provide police, fire, and EMS services at this level. So we're, we're trying to do a couple of different things here um, to hire and retain staff. And you see, not only is our, our the applicant pool shrinking, but our calls for service continue to go up. So our workload for our staff is increasing. Um, so we responded to over 120,000 calls for service um, in 2021. So what can we do to get more folks in the door and keep them here? So one of the things that we uh, have proposed is a uh, lateral transfer incentive. So how can we hire officers that have some prior experience, been through a police academy or a fire academy, um, how can we lure them to come to work for Kalamazoo Public Safety? Because we know if you've already been police or fire, you know what you're getting into, you know the work. And, and chances are if we get those uh, officers to come, they're gonna stay. Uh, conversely, some of these other officers I talked about that have never been police, fire, never been trained, 
um, they don't really necessarily know for sure what they're getting into till they're here. And after several years, we lose some of those officers. They decide it's not for, for them. They, they want to pursue a different career. Maybe work for another agency where they just have to do police. You know, that's another thing. We do police, fire, and EMS, so it's a complicated job. They have three roles. Some of them say, well, we could go work somewhere else and just do one job, and it's easier. So what can we do to keep those folks here? Because it's a significant investment. So when we hire someone, if we have to put them through the police academy, and, and or fire academy, it's about $25,000 for that cost. But if you look at what it takes us over a year to train someone, so during that training period with their training and education and um, work, you know, that's about a $90,000 per employee investment that we're losing those and how can we um, keep them here? So we'll start with the laterals. Again, like I said, just, just the um, academy costs about $25,000. Um, so if we could hire them in, the city saves that cost. We don't have to put them through the police fire academy. They've already done. Uh, so um, again, that's a saving. So we're proposing that if we hire someone that's prior police fire at a full-time department and they meet the minimum qualifications, um, that they would receive a $10,000 lateral transfer bonus. And then if they complete their probation after one year, they would receive an additional $5,000. So it'd be $15,000 total cost of the city. But again, we're saving that $25,000 initial investment to put them through the police academy. And again, from what we've seen recently, some of our lateral transfer officers that we've hired uh, are some of our best officers. And the other thing, the other reason why we're not attracting as many laterals as what we had hoped is because many of these officers are transferring from a department where they're at the top of the pay scale. So they, they decide to leave their home department and come work for counties of public safety. They're not gonna start, start at the top of our pay scale, so they'll take a, usually a reduction in pay. And many officers can't afford that initial reduction in pay, so we're hoping that $10,000 initial um, bonus would entice them to come and be able to absorb that financially for, for them and their families to come work for KDPS. So we really think that that would be a, a big help getting good qualified officers in the door here. The other piece of that is what do we do to keep the men and women who are coming to work every day and working hard for this community? It's a difficult job. And the officers at KDPS have worked very hard and it's been a tough couple years. What can we do to keep them here? And again, when we're, on average we're losing about eight officers a year through either they go and leave another department or they decide that law enforcement isn't for them and they get out of it altogether. And that's a significant investment. Again, if we say it's about a $90,000 investment to get them trained, if we lose on average eight officers a year, that's a $720,000 loss investment that the city absorbs when that happens. So what can we do to keep them here? So one of the things we're proposing is that retention bonus for current employees who are off probation. So that would be um, a $1,000 bonus in the first quarter of 2023. So all sworn officers would get a $1,000 bonus um, at the beginning, first quarter of next year. And if they stay and they work for that entire year, in the first quarter of 2024, they would get a three to 5% bonus. Uh, and again, if they work all through 2024, they would get a three to 5% bonus in 2025. And this is only a pilot program, so this would only go to 2025 and not beyond that. But we really think that's fair to our employees who have worked here. And then also, if you look at wages, um, we negotiated a contract with the unions in 2022. Um, that was prior to the massive inflation that we've all seen. And um, again, when officers are looking at pay rates, um, we're comparable to other jurisdictions, but if they can go to another agency and just do one job, not three, um, 
what can we do to keep them here and really reward them for, again, being here and working hard every day for this community. So we really feel that the, the retention bonus and the lateral transfer bonuses, along with other efforts with recruiting and hiring that are currently underway and some other things that we're looking into are gonna help us stabilize our staffing uh, so that we can continue to provide the high level of service of police, fire, and EMS that we uh, currently provide to the city. Well, thank you, any, any questions? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Bryson. Questions? Can I, would you guys hire me? <laughs> I would hire you, but I definitely would take you out to breakfast. Is that <laughs> Other questions? Maybe lunch. Yeah, Commissioner Prio. Hey, Chief Boys, and thanks for the presentation. This is a lot of really valuable information. I wish we could uh, do this again at a uh, business meeting as well, because I know more people are paying attention and whatnot, but this is really helpful information. How, how do we compare to other um, jurisdictions in the area or, or nationwide in terms of uh, that decrease in applicants and then our vacancies? Is that pretty, and I know you're not gonna have a, a precise number per se, but you know, just generally speaking, um, what, do you, what are you seeing nationwide? What are you seeing around the region? Yeah, nationwide we're seeing really the same thing in, in law enforcement in general. It's, and, and really across the board in, in many sectors, it, you know, people are struggling to find staff, but particularly in law enforcement. So one of the things that we looked at when we put this proposal together is what are other cities doing to entice officers to come work for them? And so we actually looked at um, comparables from throughout the country uh, for retention and hiring bonuses. And, and we're kind of really in line uh, in, in the median of what many cities are asking for. Um, again, this is um, something that we need to do because if we're not doing it, other departments are and we're gonna continue to lose folks. That's my biggest fear is we're gonna lose our staff that we have, especially if local jurisdictions, others start doing this, the same incentive. Really um, also just appreciate, uh, I'm trying to find where the slide was that I wrote this note, so I apologize, patience with me, but I, it was on the downtown call responses. And one of the things I appreciated is you mentioning about um, the proactive response versus the reactive response and how, how the desire to be more on that side of the proactive response to things. I also really appreciated about your you know uh, care and attention to just providing you know, as much wraparound support for individuals who might be, you know, repeat individuals who are maybe struggling with something or have some um, underlying issues um, that we can support them with, with community resources. So I um, wanted to thank you for that as well. Um, my other question was as well, um, sorry, for the substation that's coming in as well, um, I know that's on our regular agenda tonight. Um, can you repeat again, you said that it would be the community policing unit and the social services coordinator you said that would be housed out of that space there yes in our community service team which is a sergeant and one officer assigned to that team uh, and they work closely with our social services coordinator okay and then you also in the beginning you had shared some statistics about some of the um, trends that we're seeing with different types of, of crime and you'd mentioned I think you'd mentioned that the uh, uh, vehicular theft was down 30 33 percent and what were the other two statistics again I uh, missed Violent crime is down 11% and assaults with firearm is down 14%. Homicides are, were down 38% from the previous year, which is part of that overall number for our um, violent crime. That's part of that 11%. But in particular, if you just pull out homicides, we're, we're down. So we're trending in the right direction. And I'm honestly very optimistic and hope that uh, we'll start to see pre-2020 pandemic numbers uh, again here as we move forward into 2022 and beyond. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Hoffman. 
Thank you. Um, what do you believe is contributing to the decrease in the gun violence right now? Well, it's one of those things, a lot of people ask it, and I wish there was one thing you could point to because then everyone would do it, right? It's, uh, but it's many things working together. Um, but the heart of it, the heart of the strategy we do at KDPS is that balanced approach with outreach and enforcement where we're working with the community and collaborating with the community and we're coordinating our efforts. Uh, it can't just be enforcement and it can't just be outreach, but when those two things work together, um, I think that approach is, is what is, is bearing fruit now where we are identifying those individuals who are most at risk and we either go at them with interventions and mediations or if we have to protect the community and arrest them and get them off the street, that's what we're gonna do. But it's those direct interventions working with the community I think is, is starting to pay off. Good question, thank you. Commissioner Hess. Um, Chief Poison, I, I do hope that uh, your staff and your officers know how much we support them and how uh, with every interaction, I'm, I'm grateful for their service. Um, uh, you have here on, on one of the training center planning study. Uh, mm -hmm. Could you go over that just a bit and uh, let us know what that 100,000 is for? Yep, thanks commissioner. Uh, thanks for those comments also. So the training center is we are looking to uh, get some initial studies done on what it would cost to put a new indoor range. Our range that we are currently used for our gun range is very, very old. Um, I think most of the parts uh, were built or made in the 1980s, so we're having a hard time keeping that range up and running. Those parts, they don't manufacture them anymore, so they have to cobble them together and uh, it's very expensive to maintain. So we're really looking to build a new range uh, um, in our Nazareth complex training facility as long as well as a driving track because we know that there's a lot of high risk and liability to cities with driving and pursuit driving and responding to emergency calls. So we really need capacity to build a track and a gun range. And so that's that initial investment we're looking at the planning uh, to hopefully move that forward in the future. Thank you. I, I'll just note that I was made well before the 80s and I'm still fine. No, <laughs> Me too. But yeah. I understand the need for a new gun range. Thank Hard you. To maintain. There. Thanks again. Manager Risman. All right, we'll move okay. on now to youth and we'll have our Parks and Recreation Director, Patrick McVeary, come forward. Thank you, Chief Boysen. Uh, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners. Um, I am going to speak on the youth strategy items in the proposed budget. Um, the first one that you'll see is the allocation for youth programming. This is the Police Athletic League and the staffing for that. Uh, it is lower than last year's ask due to the uh, opportunity that we had to take advantage of the money that we had this year and uh, purchase equipment that was needed for Rocket Football. Um, that equipment wasn't available initially during the summer, um, so we decided to actually put RFPs out this fall, and we uh, anticipate having that equipment available for next summer uh, and actually delivered this spring. So that was part of the reasoning for uh, the lower budget amount for the PAL program. We'll still be able to uh, actually operate all the programs that we did this year. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more. There's a new program that we're working on right now um, for this uh, winter and leading into spring. But just to highlight some of the numbers of the PAL program over the last year, um, 
we reached a total of 594 youth and adults with all of the programs that were offered from PAL. Um, in the men's midnight league, that was comprised of 90 men that played in that um, program. And then so we reached a total of 504 youth uh, across all of the programs being basketball, which um, was comprised of the Junior Midnight League, the three-on-three -three event that uh, Public Safety partners with our department on here at Bronson Park. Um, the Football League, we had a total of 274 players in the Rocket Football League this year, along with 80 cheerleaders. Uh, I believe that was a number that was higher than in the past. And then the Soccer League that we partnered with El Concilio, we had 70 players in that as well. So the PAL, PAL program um, had a great first year. There were some bumps in the road, but those are expected um, just because of some of the programs and the fast nature that we actually implemented those. Um, but the $275,000 request for next year will comprise of all the PAL programming as well as the um, temporary staff that we utilize um, to help with the rocket football program, the basketball events, and then the midnight leagues as well. Uh, and it's also inclusive of our youth program advocate position that helps run that program. Uh, the next item was the allocation for youth programming. And you'll see there's kind of a placeholder here of three and a half million over the next three years. And it'll also, it, I'm gonna highlight uh, this past summer's $1 million uh, project that we partnered with KidNet on. Um, basically, I know everyone is, um, eagerly anticipating the final report from KidNet that was actually emailed this past weekend um, to city staff. Um, I actually was able to take a look at it briefly this morning. And what the plan is, is um, working with Meg from KidNet, what we're gonna do is reconvene a meeting of the commissioners that were on the youth subcommittee and city staff probably the week after Thanksgiving holiday is over with to kind of dive into that report, go over it, listen to Meg's uh, comments and suggestions, and then kind of develop, develop a framework um, moving forward. But how that also uh, kind of incorporates into this youth initiatives fund and the, the placeholder for that money, um, it is that it will be kind of some further work needed, not only from the members of the commission that are on the youth but also the commission as a whole as far as the priorities based on youth strategy and how that money will actually be utilized over the next years. Um, we've taken in some feedback and heard a lot of interest uh, in early childhood education, uh, obviously continuing to support the out of school time activities, and then also working with our youth that require intense one-on-one -on -one supports to address barriers to reaching their full potential. So those are the two, um, two main focuses on the youth strategy right there. And one thing I was able to notice in looking over the KidNet report that kind of stuck out in my mind was, um, and I don't want to steal any of Meg's thunder, but from the summer programming that she was able to initiate with all of the members of the community, um, their report uh, highlighted that they were able to reach almost 3,400 youth in all the organizations that were able to be funded over this past summer. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that once we talk with Meg and go through the final report. Vice Mayor Cooney, do you have a question? Yeah, I was just wondering, you said early childhood education, and what was the other thing you said? Um, we've heard interest on early childhood, childhood education, continuing support of the out-of-school out time activities, and then uh, the intense one-on-one -on -one supports 
uh, to address barriers for kids to be able to reach their full potential. Okay, that's, that's sort of what we're talking about with the schools. Correct, yes, absolutely. Okay. It seems like a low figure for all that. As far as Maybe the- That's gonna cost a lot more money than what we yeah. got down here. Yeah. Yep. Good, thank you. Any other questions? Questions, team? Commissioner Pradle. I could just make a comment. I just uh, I used to have a scout leader over here at First Presbyterian Church when I was a Boy Scout over here, and he used to have a, a, a phrase that he swells with pride, you know, when he would see something or hear something. And, you know, my heart is swelling with pride, you know, just uh, hearing those numbers and the youth that were impacted this summer. And, you know, certainly you can't know, you know, how that translates or precipitates, you know, this year in terms of, of outcomes for our community or you know, for generations to come, but I have to believe that that was at least a positive interaction with all those youth this summer. Yeah. And I hope we continue to keep our foot on the gas uh, for those young people in our community. Absolutely, absolutely. Vice Mayor? I just wanna echo that. I think this is great and the numbers are wonderful. And um, I, I did have a lot of time to see about basketball program and that involved families yep. as well as the players and the families coming over there was just great. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Yeah, I, I feel kind of bad personally because I wasn't able to read the full report this morning in preparing for this and some other stuff, but I'm looking forward to actually being able to look into that and then also talk with Meg. And, and... Thank you, sir. Thanks. We're gonna switch gears here a little bit and ask our CFO, Steve Asensi, and our Assistant City Manager, Rebecca Kick, to come forward and talk about revenue replacement. All right, good evening, Commissioners. Um, so first I wanna start off with the revenue replacement. This was one of the original um, core factors of the federal government to uh, in creating the ARPA fund that was to stabilize local governments and protect them from the losses that occurred due to COVID. And so here at the city, we don't have a sales tax, so our general fund was much less affected than other cities. But what we did see these impacts were in our local streets funds. People were staying at home, no one was driving, gas taxes were low. So we followed the federal formula that they set up and calculated out what that revenue replacement would look like. And if any of you remember, this number going forward from 2023 forward is a little bit lower than what it used to be. And that's largely because we, we redo this calculation every year. And the street funds have seen a boost to their income, but not quite enough to overcome what the federal government projected that it should be at had COVID never happened. And then the second part of that here is also equally affected or more affected would be our parking system. Again, with everyone staying home, people were not paying for parking spots. People were not renewing their monthly leases on their parking spot. They were not coming downtown day to day to pay for the meter or into the ramps. And so again, we followed that federal formula, calculated back and kind of came up with the numbers that you see here. And so, you know, what we look at in 2023 is the number of replacing revenue that was lost during 2021 per the federal formula. And so we're still catching up and some of these funds are going to continue to support the parking systems, general operations, and also help us move forward with a consultant to oversee the parking fund and implement a new strategy um, to help make the parking fund more profitable as we go forward into the future. Do you want to add anything further? No, I'm just okay. 
Anybody has any questions about the parking? Questions, oh. team? No, thank you, Steve. All right. Any other questions about revenue replacement? I just want to make a quick comment here, Steve, just to reflect of what you said and the, the idea that a portion of this obviously was intended to be that revenue replacement and uh, participating uh, in a smaller group of Michigan cities, which is called our urban core mayors that get together on a regular basis. It was certainly the case that uh, cities in particular, and I think there's 22 of them in Michigan, that did have income tax saw the greatest revenue reduction over the, the time of the pandemic. And in some cases, a much, much larger percentage of these dollars went to fill that gap because that was a significant decrease in general fund revenue, which is where that, that income tax revenue goes. So it's just interesting seeing that. In some cases, the total dollar amount of the ARPA allocation was not far off from the actual uh, reduction in revenue that was that was uh, experienced by those cities. So it's interesting for us, you know, luckily, I guess, at the, in this case, that it was not a revenue reduction we experienced. And so there's more discrete areas where you can identify that happened. So just kind of a broader context for that. Exactly. Um, all right. Then continuing on here, our next section here is good governance. Um, sorry. Um, so stepping into our good governance, the largest portion here um, being our admin costs. Um, so what we've done here is we've used the federal de minimis 10% administrative costs um, for funds that would go back to the general fund. And what that really is made up of is direct and indirect costs of staff time and equipment and supplies that are not included in these programs that are presented. So of all the programs that you've seen tonight, there are no city staff hours or dollars accounting towards those programs. Because alternatively, we could have staff tracking every minute of every day on what they do on ARPA and then charging that directly back to the ARPA fund. We've opted for the easier route to present you know, 10% that will cover both direct and indirect costs of all the time and effort that goes into you know, planning and doing these programs that have been brought to you. And then the oversight that would even be involved with subrecipients that would give additional funds to, to run programs for us because those programs in themselves require a significant amount of oversight both from our consultant iParametrics and our city staff that work here every day. I guess I'll open that up for questions if there's any on that item before I move on. Don't see any, thank okay. you. And then our, I'll cover one other item here, which is the election equipment. Um, we've allocated $150,000 towards additional election equipment to help with the safety and transport of our election equipment. Um, it's through the clerk's office, and obviously, as we all know, elections are extremely important to what we do here every year. And then finally, we have our Imagine Kalamazoo Engagement Outreach. Um, this funding is going to go towards improving our outreach to the community to help um, plan our future vision statements and master plans. And so that's where that money will go. And we have Director Kick available, if, or ACM Kick available, if we have any questions on that funding. Questions for Assistant City Manager Kick? Mr. Pradle. 
Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what those funds would be primarily directed towards. It's exciting that we're gonna be uh, doing that work again very soon. Oh, I know. Thanks, Commissioner Pradal. So uh, we have always been supporting our ongoing uh, work with neighborhood plans. So we'll continue to uh, build capacity in the coalitions to continue our neighborhood plan work, as well as we, you know, we do outreach for every project in every neighborhood that is also going on. You can always follow that on imaginekalamazoo.com. We have a projects page. So you can always see when those meetings are, how to get engaged. Um, typically, we will repeat the meeting online as well. So if you can't attend the meeting, then we always have all of the presentations, surveys, uh, maps that you can comment on, which will also be repeated online. Uh, additionally, we are supporting outreach this year for uh, residential zoning updates. Uh, which will include a barriers to uh, housing study, um, which we are looking, looking to do at the beginning of the year. And then there's the ramp up to Imagine Kalamazoo 2035, which is gonna happen in the fourth quarter of this year. Cool, okay. thank you. Yep. Thank you, AC Kick. Yeah. Any other questions on good governance? I guess not, Steve, thank you. <laughs> All right, well, I'm gonna actually pass it off here to um, Director McVeary again to come discuss our multiple section, because um, this is mostly his project moving forward. <laughs> thank you, sir. Ah, back up again. So I know you all probably have a lot of questions regarding the market event building at the farmer's market. Um, and this allocation of funding over the next three years, uh, Director Vicenzi put in there. Um, basically, when the market event building began um, back in 2016, it, it initially only had one purpose, to serve the market um, you know, during the year and then possibly any type of winter markets. The process kind of evolved and both our department and I think the city as a whole kind of thought outside of the box on how this, this second phase of this project could benefit not only the farmer's market, but a lot more. Um, and so what it's kind of developed into is the market event building mainly will be used as a new after school site and summer camp site to replace the aging youth development center that we have. Um, there's few issues with that building. We actually had to kind of do a little emergency roof repair this past summer to be able to house the summer camp there throughout the summer uh, at the Youth Development Center. But one of the main purposes of this building will be housing the after-school program there um, throughout the school year and then also serve as a summer camp site during the summer. Um, along with that, uh, the new building is going to be built. It's, it's almost 6,000 square feet from the designs that we've seen so far. Uh, it will incorporate a small kitchen that can be used for demonstrations and class type instruction. Um, and the space not only serving the after school programs and the summer camp will be able to use for meetings or possible community events. The farmer's market actually will be possibly able to utilize the building during the winter time for winter markets. I know that's been a thing that they haven't been able to take advantage of over the last few years. Um, incorporated into the design 
um, will also be a playground that was developed back in 2016. Um, so that'll be a new addition to both the site and um, that building, along with an outdoor space. Uh, there'll be a dedicated food truck area, which I know uh, this past summer with the way that the market ran and part of the project not being completed, um, that was kind of an issue. There'll be dedicated food, food truck space for the patrons to be actually able to access the food trucks better. Um, there'll also be dedicated power for those food trucks as well. They're currently operating off of a temporary system that we have in place. Um, and I know there's been questions about um, additional uh, grant type funding for the project. And we have solicited that. Uh, the Irving S. Gilmore Foundation actually granted a million dollars to us um, for the second phase of the project. We, um, both our department and Carrie Lynn Williams, the grant specialist for the city, put in for a DNR trust fund grant. Um, we'll actually find out about that towards the end of next month. Um, and then we were also uh, part of a, a regional application for an MEDC grant. Um, and we've been told that we have been awarded, but the final amount has yet to be determined. So that's another funding source that will be coming in for the marketing event building. Uh, as far as uh, total budget, initially when the project scope began, uh, I believe in 2020, the estimate was around $6 million. Um, and we're actually working with our consultant right now. They're completing the updated cost estimate this month and we'll have that available at the end of November. Um, we had to use that as part of the grant work that we were doing. Any questions that I can answer? Thank you. Questions, Commissioner Hoffman. <laughs> Thank you. You knew You're I welcome. was coming. Um, <laughs> so this sounds like it could be a lovely, lovely place. Yeah. But I would be remiss if I did not talk about our need for temporary sheltering for our homeless individuals within our community. And when I see three million for a multi-purpose building, I, I have to take a deep breath and pause. I just want to put that out there. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my questions is, uh, what funding for this would be coming from FFE, if any? Uh, for the second phase of the project, I don't believe there's any FFE funding. That was just for phase one. Okay. Is that, complete. could that be a possibility? I believe so, but I'm not 100% sure. I know we passed the, the ask okay. uh, for this coming year, mm -hmm. um, and this, I th believe, we, we weren't expecting to begin construction and start all in 23. Uh, it's kind of been a planning process based on not having the actual estimated costs because of supply chain issues and everything else, so. Okay, and then my second question is in reference to the after school and uh, what would that look like if we partnered with KPS or KRESA to do uh, after school activities versus a new building right now or within the next three years? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Vice Mayor. If you're yeah, I mean, we're building mm -hmm. a whole new school at Edison. And it's long, it's big, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Not housing after school programs there, partnering with other people to put after school programs there. Mm -hmm. And in some of the other schools that we have, um, those buildings are paid for. Um, we got them. They're in key spots. I really think we got to look at that. Commissioner mm -hmm. Hoffman? No? Okay. No, Any other questions? Thoughts? All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
Manager Smith. Yeah, we'll have our CFO, Steve Asensi, come forward again to wrap things up. Okay, Oop, I went the wrong way. There we go. And then here on this slide, you're just gonna see the breakdown of everything that we presented tonight. Um, this is the breakdown given the full amount through the end of 2026 of what this proposed ARPA plan would be, with the majority of the funding at 21% going towards housing, followed by youth, and then we have revenue replacement, good governance, safety. Um, multiple could fit into a couple of these categories, infrastructure, youth, others, um, and then economic development and infrastructure. Um, so really this is kind of how we tie back to those commission priorities and how we kind of fared with the dollars overall. And that's just kind of where that is. Um, I guess I'll open up to any general questions about anything else related to ARPA here. And yeah. Uh, thanks, Steve. Vice Mayor. Does this exhaust the ARPA funds, what you have proposed? This total plan would. Um, really right now we're focused on the 2023 portion, but the total like five, six year plan would utilize the entire ARPA fund. And is the total ARPA fund that we now have $38 million? Yes. Okay, thank you. Well, some of that's been spent. 38 million minus what's already been allocated. Uh, what I'm asking then is how much is still remains of the ARPA funds? We want to do some quick math. I want to say it would be somewhere around 25 to 28 million. 25 to 28. Thank you. So just a, a comment just here for a little conversation. So obviously uh, in fairly short order here, uh, December 1st, we're going to be, all these things will be coming together, right, Manager Rissma, to yes. pr provide a budget proposal to the City Commission, one of our biggest tasks is approving that budget for 2023. So we've got a couple different streams coming in. Uh, over the last few years, now we've had this FFE work that is already coming our way with some proposed spending categories, and that's come out of FFE, correct, and, and coming our way. And of course now, and for a few more years, we'll have ARPA, which after 26 will be gone, but that is another stream that's kind of building into our overall budget and then those resources will be gone so uh, this is all part of this multi-pronged planning but at the end of the day the plan is the budget correct it's not like a totally separate standalone ARPA budget that happens this all feeds in overall to our budget so just just as a general reminder for all of us you know that that's how that works so this is a portion of it which we are pulling out to talk about how is this going to fit in the big picture of things here but it is just one rather I mean it's big in itself but one smaller portion of what will be a 200 million dollar budget plus I'm sure altogether so uh, anyway at this point we also besides this conversation, we've had the opportunity to have some one-on-one -on -one conversations about this as well. And so we will have, once again, this broader conversation about our whole budget once we get that on December 1st, uh, you know, basically just after Thanksgiving here. And 
are, we'll be making decisions that will relate not just, well, how are we going to spend our ARPA funding, but how does that interconnect with how we're spending all our money and what our, what our plans are as it relates to that. So just helps me think about that. This isn't some separate activity we're doing. This is an activity that's part of our, our overall budget thinking. Anything else, Manager Esmond, you want to say about that? You want to say he, bring he, forward next steps? Yeah, you teed this up really well for me, Mayor. <laughs> All right. All right, so our budget next steps. Um, so tonight we came to talk to you about our proposed ARPA recommendations. December 1st, um, you'll get an email from me on behalf of the city manager transmitting the formal budget. We do it online. It's an online interactive budget book. Um, and then we'll come back on December 12th with a budget work session here at City Hall. And then following that, we will have our public hearing on January 3rd and then requesting formal approval on January 17th. So a lot more steps to go, a lot more availability for public input as well and your input um, as we move forward. Thank you very much, Steve. Anything else from the team? Yeah, I, Manager Yeah, I would just add that we're, we have a committee of the whole meeting on December 5th. And right now we don't have a topic, so we might start talking about budget there and then have the budget work session on the 12th, so. That sounds great, Manager Anything else, sir? That concludes our presentation. Thank you everyone who presented and appreciate all the great work. I just wanted to follow up on that also. I know that that is, as we sit here together, we all have dreams about what Kalamazoo can be, and that list of dreams just inside the city comes forward, then hard decisions have to be made, just like everybody makes at home, about what you can afford and what you're going to pay for and what's going to get on the list and what's not going to get on the list. But all that said, I mean, that's the work that has to happen. And so inside every department, that this wasn't just something uh, somebody sat down 15 minutes and threw this list together. There's been a lot of discussion that started really, I would say, in the grassroots at our departments and has built up uh, to come to the, you know, sometimes not enviable position of having to say, mm, no for this, yes for that, what seems to fit and check all these various boxes that we're trying to check. And I, and I want to go back to what you said right at the beginning here, just talking about because we've got our long-term plans that we've done a lot of engagement with the community around, our, our 20, IK 2025, and, and how are these things consistent with all those desires and uh, other things that we have in place as well in terms of our commission uh, ranking of what is important to us, which we just did, and we just talked about that. So once again, that, that whole process and those decisions that are made over time begins to point us into a direction, all this work it's done, those evaluation uh, criteria are what you use to try to bring something forward to us here. So that all said, I recognize that is a boatload of work uh, in addition to, you know, our everyday jobs have to get done. So thank you for that. Thank you to the team for that. And now in this iterative process, it's our opportunity to weigh in all the more. And so I look forward to it. I think it's a good idea to talk about it on the 5th. I look forward to that. Anything else for the good of the order here? So I just want to remind you, any, did you have something, Commissioner? Okay, go ahead. Just wanted to uh, say hi. I see uh, one of my favorite Broncos, uh, Jeff Lillard, is here with us tonight from uh, WU Public Safety. So just wanted to say hi to you. <clears throat> Appreciate it. So anyone who's watching our 
business meeting will start in about a half an hour. Is that right? I can't see the clock exactly. Uh, okay, seven o'clock. Once again, opportunity for public comments and uh, commission. Great work, appreciate it. And our committee of the whole meeting is adjourned.